Open in your Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14. And uh, what a blessing to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I, I want you to pray for my oldest. He's a little bit under the weather. And uh, the, the little one, Schofield, he's a little bit under the weather too, although he swears he is not. <laughs> he, uh, he, he hates not getting to come to church. He misses it. Uh, all of his friends are here. I don't, he doesn't get a lot of opportunity as a three-year-old to socialize very many other places. And uh, so all of his friends are here. So he hated to miss tonight. He, uh, he wanted to come, but we thought it'd be best that Mama kept him at home uh, so to keep you healthy, amen, as well as them. So Matthew chapter number 14, and you know, a couple of Wednesdays ago, we preached out of this chapter, uh, and we preached on an earlier portion of this passage uh, on the thought that they need not depart. Man, aren't you thankful we don't have to, to give up on the Lord? We don't have to quit serving God. The flesh always tells us when, we, when we're tempted to quit serving the Lord, always tells us that we have to, that we have no other choice, that it's what must be done. But I'm glad that's not true, aren't you? We can always go on and, and serve the Lord. But I want to pick up reading in verse 22 tonight, read down to verse number 33. And I want to read a, a little bit different sort of passage tonight, very uh, very similar in some ways in the same chapter, very close in chrono- chronology, but a very different scene before us. Matthew chapter 14, verse number 22 uh, the Bible says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he was come. Uh, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for these people that have gathered here, Lord. They're here because they love you and they love your word, Lord. And I pray that as we approach your word tonight, we do so with a spirit of reverence, of introspection, Lord, of of self-examination. And Father, that we would do it in a meaningful, practicable way, that we would desire for you to work in our lives in a way that would transform us more into the image of Christ in the way that we live and behave ourselves and in a way that would please you in all things. Lord, we love you. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 14, we have one of a series of uh, storm scenes that the Lord Jesus enters into and calms the storm. They are not all identical. Uh, There are some parallel accounts in the Gospels. Uh, But this storm scene is, is somewhat unique in the details that are presented to us. And when I read about this storm, there are three things that I immediately notice. Now, before I say anything tonight, let me say that you and I both understand that uh, though this is literal, though it is explicit, though it is historical, though it is accurate, we also understand that there is some symbology going on in the fact that the Holy Spirit draws attention to this. 
You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, this was a real storm that happened in a real place with real people. And it is recorded for us 100% accurately, just as everything else in the Word of God is. We also understand that the reason the Holy Ghost draws attention to these storm scenes is because we likewise experience a different type of storm in our life. You're going to go through seasons in your life of, of tumult, seasons of turbulence, times when things are not calm, times when things are not easy, times when much like the disciples, it just feels like the wind is contrary to you. It feels like you are fought on every hand. You will enter these times of affliction, of, of turmoil, of tragedy. And so just as they went through a storm, we too go through storms in our life. And when we look at how they experienced this storm and what God did for them in the midst of the storm, it is a reminder to you and I of how we should experience the storm and of what God can do for us when we go through storms in our life. Notice three things with me to sort of frame this message tonight. Uh, number one, I would notice that this was a troubling storm. The Bible says in verse 24, the ship was now in the midst of the sea. And notice this next phrase, it was tossed with waves. Now this is not just a, a small breeze that is blowing upon the sea. This is not just sort of a slightly elevated current or waves. This storm is fierce enough, angry enough, violent enough that it is literally careening the ship back and forth, hurling them across the Sea of Galilee. In fact, the Bible says in the next phrase, the wind was contrary. It means that where they needed to get to, the wind would not permit them to. This was a fierce storm that had arrested their life, had consumed their attention, and had prevented them from doing the things that they desired to do. You know, there will be times in our life that we're going to face things that, uh, you know, we can multitask with. I'll be honest with you, being an adult means having at least six to seven problems simultaneously at all times. That's what being an adult is. You long for the days when your biggest burden was homework. Somebody say amen to that. And, uh, you, you know, when you grow into adulthood, it just seems like almost like Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, the storm clouds just come one right after the other and, and, and you feel as though you are bombarded. But then every once in a while, man, there's going to come along a storm like in the book of Acts, like that Eurachlodon, there'll be a storm come along that is not necessarily a cluster of a bunch of things, but is just a massive movement in your life that consumes everything uh, of your attention. And that's the kind of storm they were facing. This was a storm that was dangerous and was devastating to them. It very easily, humanly speaking, could have killed them that night when they were out to sea. This is a troubling situation they find themselves in. I hope you're not experiencing that in your life. But I do know, and you know as well, that if we live long enough, we're going to experience it. We're going to face things that we never thought we'd go through. Things that we can't explain why we're going through. Things that we see no way to get out of. We're going to have troubling storms in our life. But I do see a word of encouragement all the way down to verse 32. I want you to notice it. It says in verse 32, and when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. So this was a troubling storm, but I think we ought to say tonight, lest we overburden ourselves, it was a temporary storm. You know, and let me make two applications of this thought. I'm thankful that every storm is a temporary storm for the child of God. One of these days, there's no problem you got that heaven won't fix. There's nothing you're facing that heaven won't solve. And I'm thankful that everything we're experiencing, every storm we encounter is but a temporary storm. But let me make a more practical, more immediate, more present statement. And this is just the reality of it. Though there may be things that we face that are chronic in our lives, 
Most of the storms we go through are temporary, even temporally speaking. Most of the time, the things we go through, they don't come to stay, they come to pass. They're not things that dwell in our life for the rest of our life. And there's probably moments, if you've got one or two gray hairs, or maybe just one or two hairs, I'm not going to name names, but if if you've had a little bit of road behind you, then you probably could think back to some things that you thought were never going to pass. And now they're in your rearview mirror. Uh, let me encourage us uh, as young people, and I think I can still technically say us when I say young people. I don't, somebody's going to have to let me know when I have to stop doing that. But let me say for us as young people, uh, sometimes we face things and we think I'm never going to get through this. But we can look around and see an older generation that can testify of the goodness of God that said God's brought them through things uh, far greater than what we have faced. Most of our storms are temporary storms. But then look at verse 33. I thought this was interesting. Bible says, then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the son of God. Now, I can't connect every dot in this passage, except to simply make this one passing statement here. They learned some things in that story. They learned some things about how who Jesus was. They learned some things about what he could do. They learned some things about what he loves. They learned in the midst of this storm. And I would say that it was a teaching storm as well as a troubling and a temporary one. And you know, the truth is, everything we go through affords us the potential to learn something about the Lord. As a child of God, there is no occasion of our life that is not touched by providence. And if it's touched by providence, then it can also be a vehicle of revelation about who God is and what He desires to do in our life. In other words, the the real danger in this storm was not that they were not going to survive it. They were going to survive it by the grace and help and, and protection of God. The real danger was that they'd go through it and never learn the lessons from it. You know, in your life and mine, the danger is not that things are going to spiral and spin out of control, but the great tragedy would be for us to go through some things and come out the other side and not be any closer to God, not know any more about Him, not have gained any wisdom from what we've gone through. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight in the schoolhouse of the storm. God brought them into a place in their life where there were some things that could only be taught by hard circumstances, by troubling situations. But in this we find that God grew them and developed them to such a degree that by the close of the chapter, man, there's some things they're they're confirmed about and convinced about and some convictions they have that they did not have before they went through that storm. Let me say in my life, man, if I'm going to go through storms, I at least want them to count for something. I don't want it to just be months, years of frustration, of discouragement. I want it to be when I come out on the other side, man, I can lift a holy hand in praise and say, thank God that He brought me through and let me testify of what He's taught me and what He's shown me and what He's grown me in. I want my storms to count for something. And in light of that, I want you to notice how Christ taught them through the storm. Now, uh, what you'll find is that experience is the greatest teacher that there is. And there are some things, this is the reality of it, that we will only learn through painful lessons of experience. And the Lord Jesus does this in their lives in this passage. Now, let me just remind you that none of this had to transpire. What I mean by that is this, it was all avoidable had God chose for them to avoid going through it. Can I let you in on something here? Uh, your storms are avoidable were God to wish you to avoid it. 
And if he does not, if he puts you through those things, it's not because he lacks the ability to prevent them, but it's because in his providence he desires to do something through it. In fact, there's probably no clearer example in Scripture of the disciples, through no fault of their own, being placed in a scenario where danger uh, surrounds them. They weren't there because they wanted to be. They were there because the Lord told them to be. Uh, they weren't on that boat because they decided that they wanted to be there. They were there because the Lord had instructed them to be there. And in fact, Peter, when Peter steps out of the boat, he asks the Lord's permission before he ever does it. So that tells me this. The Lord wanted them to go through it. By the same token, there are some things that though they may have not been desirable in regards to an outcome, God used them for His glory and for their good. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I don't think the Lord wanted Peter to sink in the water. But I think He knew He was going to. I don't think He he delighted in the disciples being terrified at His approach. But I do think He allowed them to be. I think He was permitting some things in the infirmity of their flesh to take place because He wanted to teach them some things that they could only learn through that weakness, through perceiving and understanding. You know, there's some things that unless God humbles us, we're never going to learn. There are some things that if God doesn't show us exactly who and what we are, we're never going to learn. And so we find that there are three things. We could call them undesirable effects, but three things that the Lord allowed in this passage. And through that, He taught them some things. I want you to notice the first one. Look at verse 22. The Bible says, And straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him unto the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship that was now in the midst of the sea tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Let me tell you, the Lord Jesus knew that all of this was going to transpire this way. When he commanded them to get in that boat, to go across the sea, he knew there was a storm coming. When he departed from them, went up into a mountain alone to pray, he knew what was about to transpire. So I don't think it's dishonest to say, number one tonight, that in teaching them this this lesson through the storm, number one, he allowed them to flail about. So what do you mean, preacher? He let them go through a storm. He let them panic. He let them grow discouraged. He let them grow disheartened so that he could teach them some things that they could only learn through that process. I would love to tell you that in your life there's never going to be a time that you're going to be troubled. Uh, disconcerted, disturbed, scared, fearful, terrorized by the things that you're experiencing. But the truth is, it wouldn't be healthy for us if we did not experience a sense of that infirmity every now and then. Now, let me support my case a little bit. Notice, number one, the appointment of their steps. The Bible says that Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. They were not here because they had walked in rebellion. They were not here because they had done anything wrong. You know, sometimes there's this sort of superficial attitude about the things that we go through in life that if things go bad, it must be that we have messed up somehow. Now, I'll tell you, one quick way to make things go bad is to disappoint the Lord, to disobey Him, to walk in disobedience, rebellion against Him. But I've read too much Bible to believe that every time that hard times come into our life, that is an indictment against our obedience to Him. Here's the truth. If you live and serve the Lord, and if you live in this sin-broken world, there's going to be times that right in the heart and middle of God's will, you're going to experience difficulty and trials. I noticed that they were where the Lord wanted them to be. And again, man, the prosperity preacher would say the storm came because they were 
out of the will of God, but I can't reconcile that with my King James Bible. My Bible says that they were where they were supposed to be. He told them to get into the ship and go to the other side. Not only that, I want you to notice through the appointment of their steps, but also through the absence of the Savior. Verse 23, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, if he was alone on the mountain, I'll tell you where he was not. He was not in that boat with his disciples. That's interesting when we really stop and think about it. I'll tell you what we would love to believe about it. I'll tell you what TBN will tell you is supposed to happen here. That every time you go into problems, you're going to feel his presence closer. Now, let me tell you, I'm thankful there have been times in my life that has been the experience. But we have no promise that just because we're going through trials that we're going to have this great epiphany, this great, deep, abiding sense of His overwhelming presence in what we go through. Sometimes part of the trial is a feeling of abandonment and isolation. Sometimes what we're struggling with is saying, you know, I want to trust God, but I don't feel Him within a thousand miles of me. It's what the book of Psalms said. It's what Asaph said when he was discouraged. It's what Job said in the midst of his trial when he said he was looking for God. He said, I looked on the front, on the back, on the right, on the left. He said, I couldn't find Him. He said, if I could find Him, I would order my cause before Him. He said, I wish I could talk to God. But every time I try to, it just seems like He's nowhere around. Now let me just go ahead and back up and defend the Lord for a moment here. Though He was not with them, they were also not without Him ultimately. He knew where they were. He knew what they were going through. He, he came showing up just at the right time, divinely speaking. But for a season, he allowed them to sense deeply his absence. And you won't convince me that out there on that boat, there wasn't one of them looked, probably Peter, if I had to guess, probably looked at the other one. We're going to have some apologies to make to Peter when we get to heaven, ain't we? We've been awful rough on him, us preachers have. One of them probably looked at the other one and said, you know, this wouldn't be happening if Jesus was here. Probably another one looked over and said, you know, I wouldn't care to go through this storm if I knew the Savior was here. If the Master was here, this would be so much easier. But the truth is, you're going to go through things at times in your life and there will be seasons when God just makes His felt presence so deep and so abiding. There's going to be other times you're going to go through things and part of the storm is the sense of isolation. Part of what you're going through is feeling like you can't find God. In the middle of it. I noticed the absence of the Savior. But then notice what verse 24 says. It says, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. I see the appearance of the storm. Now this is interesting. Just at a time in their life when they're feeling vulnerable and insecure, just at a moment when they feel like the Lord is nowhere around, then the storm shows up. And it shows up by the appointment of God. I find no place in the Word of God where there's any sort of ability for unclean or wicked powers to control the weather, to control the elements of of the earth in that way. I would say this, the weather is purely under the jurisdiction of God Almighty. And you remember that next time it snows. Somebody say amen. He controls. He controls every storm. And He controlled this storm. Let me make a parallel to your life. He controls every storm. So He controls your storm. What you're going through, what you're facing, what you can't explain, what you can't understand. He has control over it just as much as he does every other situation in every other life. Now, that's not to say that our choices and decisions do not inform and bear upon 
how things develop in our life. But I'm just saying, this isn't something where they had rebelled against God and brought down hail upon them or famine into the land. They were walking with God. And when you're walking with God and the storm shows up, man, you can rest on His everlasting arm. And you can know, I've done everything God expects out of me. And so I can recline knowing that I'm in the heart and center of His will. And yes, storms show up in the heart and center of His will. They do. In fact, they show up when He's on the boat. <laughs> they show up when He's in the middle of all of it. They showed up in the Lord's life. And they'll show up in our life. I see that He allowed them to flail about. You can imagine the frustration, the exhaustion that they felt as they tried to row through that storm. They couldn't use the sails. The sails were contrary. They couldn't just float around listlessly. They would run ashore. They would crash into rocks. So all night they were out there working the oars, trying to fight against it, trying to find some way to survive. And through that, the Lord taught them that they don't ultimately have control over those things, but there is one who does. I don't want to get ahead in my message, but let me just remind you that the Bible does say that when the Lord showed up and stepped into the ship in verse 32, that the wind ceased. In other words, when it was God's time, when it was God's will, He stopped the storm exactly the way that He chose to. We need to be reminded, sometimes, man, we just get to thinking we have too much control. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes we, we get under the delusion that we've got a handle on things, we're controlling things, we've got things under tow. And every now and then, God just has to remind us how helpless we are and how, mo how desperately we need His help in our lives. If you don't get anything else out of your storm, uh, get out of it that you didn't call for it, but you do serve the one that controls it. And you can trust Him with it. So I see, number one, He allowed them to flail. Then look at verse 25. The Bible says, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. I'd say He taught them, number one, by allowing them to flail. But number two, He allowed them to fear. Now let me make some definitive statements here. Fear is not of the Lord. Terror is not of the Lord. Perfect love casteth out fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Can I also remind you what the psalmist said, that he knoweth our frame, that we are but dust. Uh, God, God does not endorse fear in our lives. But sure enough, sometimes he will use the natural proclivity to fear to grow us and develop us and deepen us in our faith. In other words, if we never had any fear, it would be no challenge to have faith. Faith is meaningful because it is, it is counterweighted and counterbalanced by a sense of fear that we have uh, of the risk associated with trusting the Lord. We overcome that by saying, though I am fearful, yet will I trust Him, and that faith is meaningful because we are fearful. God is not endorsing, condoning, or encouraging their faith but nor was he surprised, or their fear, but nor was he surprised when they were fearful. Why did he permit this? I mean, he could have told them. He could have said, before he departed, he could have said, now listen, fellas, I'm going to go up here in the mountain. I'm going to pray. You get in the boat. You head that way. There's going to be a bad storm show up. Don't worry about it. I'm God. Everything's fine. Just trust me. But he didn't. He put them in the boat and sent them off, them not knowing what they were about to encounter. Why is that? Well, he permitted them to experience fear that faith might overcome that fear and that He might give them peace and fortify their spirits 
as they leaned upon him. Notice three things here. Number one, look what verse 25 says. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. I love the things the Holy Ghost tells us in His Word. I love that it goes out of its way to tell us it was the fourth watch of the night. Now, if they had departed the Lord before He had sent the multitudes away and and they had got into the boat, that means they had been in that ship all night by the time the Lord showed up. You know, I would imagine this, that that as as they were fearful, I would imagine they were confused at His waiting. I'm sure they all thought to themselves, when's Jesus going to show up? You know, often the first thought that arrests our mind whenever we're going through a storm is, when's Jesus going to show up? When's God going to show up? I mean, you ever you ever been playing a, a game of chicken with your prayer request where you're trying to, to trust God and believe God and, and you're watching a time-sensitive prayer request and, and you're sort of watching the, the, the spiritual grains drop through the hourglass and, and you're just waiting and waiting and thought to yourself, man, I don't mind going through some storms and some hard times. I don't mind trusting, but Lord, I, I sure wish You'd just go ahead and hurry up and, and solve this problem. I'm sure they were discouraged because they couldn't understand why he was waiting. Here's the reality. They were waiting for him to show up and rescue them from the storm. He was waiting for the storm to show up and relieve them of their false confidence. They were waiting on two different things. And it could be the very thing that we're grappling with because we are afraid to see it take place in our life is the very thing that God is endeavoring to do because He in His, in His infinite wisdom is going to bring about things in our life that we could not possibly understand. Can I give you a New Testament example of that? Maybe a little bit of a parallel. Did it ever occur to you as Paul is praying in Second Corinthians chapter 12 about this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan to buffet him, and he says that he prayed three times and he begged God to take it away. He besought the Lord thrice that it might be removed from him. And God finally just settles it in his heart and says, no, Paul, you're going to have to live with it. My grace is sufficient. And Paul then says, I will therefore glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Did it ever occur to you that the thing that Paul wanted rid of the most was the thing that God was getting glory out of the most? It was the thing in his life that God was getting the most out of. But because it was unpleasant to Paul, he was he was begging God to take it away from him. And finally, God says no, and the grace that He gives him is the wisdom to understand that God's doing something through it that He can do no other way. Oftentimes in our life, as we're begging God to intervene, we don't understand, Lord, why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? But it is in that waiting that God is doing the greatest work in our life. To be content. Patience is waiting with the right spirit. And to be content that He's in control and to leave things in His hands is a development of faith that can be achieved through no other way than the patient waiting for of the Lord to work. I'd say they were confused at his waiting. Verse 26, uh, it's funny to me. I don't know why. Maybe I shouldn't laugh. Something about this strikes me funny. The Bible says when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. I I guess it's funny to me that their mind immediately went to that. And isn't that just like a human being? When God begins to work, to attribute it to everything else, no matter how unexpected or unreasonable that that uh, you know attributing may be instead of just taking at face value that God's doing something in our life 
How often that we will chalk things up to people's spite and malice, chalk things up to even such pagan ideas as bad luck or bad fortune, instead of just taking the biblical view that God's in control, and if something's happening in my life, I can trust that God has a plan in it. They look and see Him walking to them upon the sea, and I notice that they were concerned at His walking. They were concerned at His manner. They looked at Him, and He was showing up in a way they didn't expect. Him to show up. I, I don't know what they did expect. Maybe a, another boat to come rowing up to them or, or something. I don't know. Maybe for Him to drop out of the sky from a great bird. I don't know what they thought was going to happen. But evidently, Him walking to them was not something they anticipated. Uh, so let's just frame this another way. They've been praying for the Lord to show up. He shows up. But He shows up in a way they don't expect. And when that happens... Their natural response, not, not supernatural, not their gracious response, but their flesh's response is to be disturbed at the fact that God is moving and working in their life in a way that they cannot understand. You know, <laughs> rarely, and I, I don't know that, I don't know that I have Bible for what I'm about to say, but I got a lot of experience for it. Uh, rarely, rarely does God work in the way we think He should or will. I mean, rarely, you know, and if you want to challenge me, I'll dig up some Bible and give you for it. I'm sure it's in there somewhere, probably somewhere over here or something. But I I mean, isn't that true in our life? How rarely does God work in the way we think he's going to work? I mean, most of the time he does things in a way that we don't anticipate. And often when he begins to work in our life, uh, we're terrified of it. We view it as something that is malicious instead of something that's merciful. You know, a lot of this boils down to, we just got to let God be God. We've got to quit trying to tell Him how to be God, and we've got to quit trying to be God for Him, and permit Him the time and space that He needs to be God in our lives. When they saw Him coming to them, they, they didn't understand what was happening. He wasn't coming in the way they anticipated, so they attributed it to being some evil spirit. They were fearful at it because they could not understand it. But notice what verse 27 says. It says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So they were confused at his waiting. They were fearful because they didn't know when he was going to show up. They were concerned at his walking. They were fearful because they didn't understand the manner in which he was appearing unto them. But then they were comforted at his words. All this was done so that they might more keenly learn the comforting power of the Word of God in their lives. In other words, God allowed this so that they could learn just how precious His voice is. We rarely value God the way we should when we're not going through trying times. And I would say, if we're to be real honest, even in trying times, we don't value Him the way He deserves to be valued. But I'm just saying it is the tendency of human flesh to be ungrateful and to take for granted the Lord in our lives. But when the storms show up, all of a sudden, man, things that were not that meaningful before become precious to us. And what they learned is that they thought they needed a lot of things, but really all they needed was His Word. You're going to find when storms show up in your life that you think you need a lot of things, but really what you need is His Word. His Word has the means to give you strength, to give you peace, to give you comfort. In your life. And there's going to be a lot of things that you don't think you can weather that storm without. But as God begins to prune those things out of your life, 
you will learn that his word is sufficient. I see that he allowed them to fear, but then notice verse 28. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dig as deep into this as I would like just for time's sake. But here goes Peter again, opening his mouth. The Bible says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou die? So in teaching them these lessons in the storm, he allowed them to flail about in, in, in the storm. He allowed them to fear. Then number three, he allowed them to fall so that he could pick them back up. Notice in this passage, consider what Peter saw. Peter has a noble desire. He, he wants to come walking unto the Lord. And, and though there might be a tendency to attribute this maybe to some doubt or some disbelief, it, it's interesting to note that the Lord granted this. And the Lord would not have granted it had it been merely meant as a parlor tree. Peter had a legitimate desire to have his faith confirmed by the miraculous power of God in this instance. He sought a big thing. Man, praise the Lord that God gives us faith to seek big things. We've got a big God. We shouldn't only seek small things. We have a God big enough to answer big prayers, to do big works, to do big things in our life. But we always imagine to ourselves that when we set out on the course of doing something for the Lord, and if, if God's really in it, then it's going to succeed. Well, let me say that if God's really in it, it certainly has the potential to succeed. But there still much depends on our willingness to be faithful to the Lord. There's been a great many things that started out right. And God was in it and God would have blessed it. But because men refused to follow the Lord, they fell to pieces. I noticed what he sought here. He sought a good thing. He desired for God to grow him and to do something in the midst of this process. Notice where he stepped. Verse 29, the Lord said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. What a miraculous thing. He is now emulating the very power of the Savior that is standing there. In other words, that the Lord is allowing him to walk on those waves just as he's walking on those waves. What a gracious God that we have. That he would be willing to enable us to do the very things that he has done, to face the things that he faced in our life. But then notice how he sank, verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous. Now we ought to just pause there for a second. What changed? It's very simple what changed. He took his eyes off the Lord. You knew that before I even said it. You've, you've, if you've ever taught Sunday school, if you've ever studied your Bible, the thought has occurred to you. And yet how often it is lost on us that our ability in the midst of those storms, man, it's always important that we keep our eyes on Him. But my soul, how imperative it is in the midst of the storm that we don't lose focus on the Master. I see how he sank. He took his eyes off. And when he did, he saw the only other thing there was to see. And, you know, you have a choice in the midst of your storm. You're only going to look at one of two things. You're either going to look at your storm or you're going to look at your Savior. There is no third option. That's your choice. You take your eyes off him, all you're going to see is the storm. But if you want to quit looking at the storm, you're going to have to get your eyes on him. That is your choice. When he took his eyes off, the only thing he could see was the storm. And the Bible says that he was afraid. Why was he afraid? Well, because he was walking on water, of course. Because <laughs> you would be. Because I would be. 
Because it is only natural to be afraid in Peter's scenario. But you see, faith is not natural, it's supernatural. The things that God has called us to are not ordinary or profane or nominal. They are divine. They are, they are transcendent to this world. He had been doing something otherworldly. But when he gets his eyes off the one from whom all blessings flow, he begins to sing. He was afraid and beginning to sing. He cried. Now he does something right, saying, Lord, save Lord, save Now I'd remind you that everything that happened, the Lord knew would happen, including this. The reason that God granted him permission to step out of the boat is not so that Peter could, could thump his chest and say, what a super Christian I am, but rather so he could be humbled by the falling, the failure that he was about to experience. When he experiences it, he does the right thing that a believer should do. Lord, save me. God, it's you. It's not me. Lord, I need you. He thought he needed the Lord when he was in the boat, but now he learns he really needs the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 31, I want you to consider how he was saved. It says, immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The problem was not that he got out of the boat. The problem was that he got his eyes off the Lord. When he got his eyes off the Savior, he saw the storm, and the storm outsized and, and outmatched his faith, and he began to sink. But notice how gracious the Lord is, man. Right there in that moment, he sticks a hand out and grabs him. Uh, this is the lesson that Peter learned in it, is that in the midst of our storms, we don't need him less, we need him more. That's not an excuse to drift. It's, it's a, a, a compulsion to draw near. And he learned in the midst of all of this that there's no storm that we face that's bigger than our Lord, but that in the midst of those things and in the midst of the weakness of our infirmity, that God can still providentially grow and develop us if we can learn to get our eyes off of the storm, put them on the Savior. I wonder in your life and mine, we're going to face storms, but I wonder what God's teaching you through the storm that you're going through. Maybe one that you've just found the clouds are breaking from and you're breathing a, a sigh of relief that it's behind you. Maybe you can see the clouds gathering in front of you, looming ominously, and you're worried about what lays ahead. Or maybe you're right in the middle of it. And you say, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. Can I encourage you, don't just survive the storm. Thrive in it. Don't just live through it. Learn through it. And let God get glory out of your life in the process. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I want to give you an opportunity to meet the Lord in the altar. If God's spoken to your heart, I want you to meet Him down here. and I want you to let Him do a work in your heart and mind. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name with our heads bowed, our eyes closed.